Welcome to So Says Rick. Mostly True Stories by Rick Hall. Well, thanks for tuning into this episode of So Says Rick. We are back from the Midwest. We're in Los Angeles again, but we were in the Midwest a long time. I was there four weeks. Yeah, you were there longer than me. I was there about two and a half. But because he went to the farm to do some work, and I didn't want to participate in that, obviously. (laughs) Well, the thing is, the work on the farm is really hard work. I'm always amazed when I go back home just how hard my brother Rob works. And then when I'm with him, I work hard too. But it was really good to reconnect with not only my family, but the farm. You know, no cliche, uh, no pun intended here, but with my roots. And I we got a lot done. We got a lot of work done. Well, and it's easier to measure, you know, on the farm. It's like it's all physical and you can right. see it. It's so different than like... Acting, for example. Right, right. <laughs> when you get done, when we got done working on the farm, we'd say, oh, look, we repaired that shed. Look how good it looks. When you're acting, it's like, oh, yeah, okay. Or writing, even worse, oh, writing, right? Because exactly. you can write all day and then go, oh, that wasn't very good. And I, yeah, <laughs> or even if it was good, you're like, oh, okay. So I wrote. But I got a good workout. I was losing weight at the beginning, but then we went on vacation with Laura's family. Wait, what? Are you going to blame my family for your bad eating habits? It's not like you eat like a monk (laughs) on the farm, okay? Yeah, Aunt Sandy on the farm made a lot of desserts. There was a chocolate cream pie. There was a a Oreo. There's an Oreo casserole kind of thing. Oh, yeah, that thing's way too good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I did some bad eating for four weeks. And here's the bad side. I have to get my cholesterol tested on Friday. So I think I'm going to fail that test. Good luck. Thank you, honey. But we had a good time with Laura's family, didn't we? We did. We went up to, um, well, I was going to say a cabin, but it's not a cabin. It's this huge house in Michigan. And we were able to social distance and still enjoy being together. And there was a lot of outdoor space and the weather was nice. So we could sit around the fire ring and... And there was a lake and there were kayaks. We got a little... I got a... I burned like eight calories (laughs) by going kayaking a few times. And then... And a pontoon boat. Pontoon boat. Which was really fun. Yeah. So we had a good time with Laura's family. Then after that... We took our oldest daughter. Well, you took our oldest daughter. Yeah, then Rick went back down to the farm. And I took our oldest daughter to grad school, which was very exciting and sort of nerve-wracking. You know, new school, new roommate, new apartment, new program, new job. And the car broke down a mile from campus. Yeah, so that was pretty exciting, figuring out, getting it towed and all that stuff. But we got her successfully there. Yep. Everything's good. Right. And she started two days ago. So she's... In the swing of things. And then our younger daughter went back to, she's in her last year of undergrad, and she went off on her own. She doesn't need us. No. And, well, uh, she kind of does because we're paying tuition and <laughs> rent. But, hey, speaking of that, our older daughter is officially independent of us. Financially, Financially. independent, yeah. She got a full scholarship and uh, is getting paid for research. Right. So 
<laughs> we don't even understand the stuff she's talking about. I can't even understand the exactly. names of her classes. I know. Much less what they talk about in them. Right. So we just, when she talks about them, we smile and go, oh, good. Like they did all those teenage years when we were talking and they <laughs> pretended they were listening. <laughs> But while Laura was taking our oldest daughter to grad school, my brother and his family went on vacation on the farm. So I went back down, and I was not just pretending to be a farmer. I was in charge of the farm for four days. It's a big responsibility. It is. It is. And you did not go with me because you don't want to. Oh, wait. No, because you're taking our daughter <laughs> to grad school. Because I was school. doing something else. That's yeah. right. But here's what I did on the farm. It was calving season, so new calves were being born. So every morning I would get up, and we have three different pastures with over 46 cows having babies. So I would go out to check what new calves were born overnight, and then you have to tag them, put a tag in their ears so it identifies them with their mother so you know which cow is producing what calf and if you want to keep them in the herd or not. Here's the thing you got to catch the calves when they're young. And by young, I mean within the first few hours that they're born. Why do you have to catch them so quick? Because within a day, they're too fast. You're out in the middle of the pasture. You can't <laughs> catch them. Although here's a trick. Cows will hide their calves in the weeds in the pasture, and the calves will stay there and not move. You can literally walk right by them and not see them. Like like baby deer. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that's their defense, uh, which I think if I was in a stress situation, my defense would be to lay in the weeds, too, which <laughs> I think work out great. But here's the thing. If you can't find the calf and you suspect that it's out in the weeds somewhere, you walk out into the pasture away from the cow. Are you writing all this down, Laura? Uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm sure the audience is writing it down, too. Should I not be for telling when it? They, no, for when they want to catch a newborn calf. Right. Go on. Okay. So here's my wisdom I want to share with you is that you walk out into the pasture a little bit away from the cow and you bawl like the calf. And that, you bawl? You you. Like cry? Yeah, yeah, you make a calf sound. Oh, make yeah. the sound. Okay, really? Okay. Yeah. Here we go. That's good. Thank you. And that's what the cow says. Because when you do that, she'll immediately look to where she hit her calf, which is a big tell. I'm like, oh, you dummy. Of course, she's a cow. <laughs> She'd be terrible at poker. <laughs> <laughs> Cow poker. Um, so then she will make her sound. I suppose you want to hear that, too. Yes. Okay. So then she will make her sound, her comforting sound, which is... That doesn't sound really comforting to me. Well, you're not a calf. It sounds like a cow ghost. <laughs> well, it doesn't. It, to their calf... To, to the, their calf, it sounds comforting. To her I'm calf, sorry. she's saying, honey... Stay put. The creepy guy's coming out. You're <laughs> you're safe if you stay put. But then here's the trick. Boy, I'm giving a lot of details here. But you know what? Somebody may have to go tag a calf someday and say, oh, my gosh, thank goodness Rick Hall told me how to do it. Exactly. So then you go up and sneak up on the calf. And if they're laying down, you can sometimes sneak up right behind them and put the tag in their ear and they don't even hardly know what happened. Hurts a little bit, but barely. It's like getting your ear pierced, kind of. But the, the hard part is 
that the mama doesn't kill you when you're trying to do it because she knows you're grabbing her calf and she thinks you're trying to kill it. And she stops going, mmm, mmm, and starts going, mmm, mmm, and coming at you. <laughs> you get the picture. I get it. No, I'm, I'm loving it. Thank you. Thank you. But it's t- dangerous. I got to tell you, my adrenaline is going so high after, after you tag a calf. We're supposed to write it down in a book. I have to wait like 10 minutes because my hands are shaking. Wow. That's that's how dangerous it is. And I was a real farmer for four days until my sister came up from Nashville and tagged me out. And then she had to do Tagged it. you out? <laughs> ah, get a tag. So Vicky, uh, Vicky did it too. So she took care of the farm. Now, my family, being the city mouse that I am, <laughs> my family uh, was so intrigued by the whole thing that we made a pool and to bet how many calves we thought would be born while Rick was in charge, and then also how many he would actually tag. But he three were born, and he got all three. So right. he was three for three. So, so our niece won. Right. Yeah. Congratulations. And she got all the money. It was probably like... It was $66. Wow. Yeah. I Man, know. I sh- There's good money in betting on... On, on me. I should have cheated because I was in the pool, too. And then I could have won $66. But we knew you wouldn't cheat. I know. People brought that up, that he might cheat to make himself or me win. But he didn't. He was too honest. So the story I want to tell today, I just wrote on the way back from the farm last week. And it's never been heard before. Heard before? Ah, get heard. <laughs> but it's not about cows. No. This story is called Red Wing Boots. I don't remember exactly how young I was, probably four or five, but I do remember that when my dad and I walked from the house to the grain bins, it took me three steps to keep up with a single step from him. His legs were so long, mine so short. His red wing work boots were massive, made of tough leather with thick soles. I tried them on once. I could barely pick one up using both hands, but he walked effortlessly in them. Our family always got our shoes at Lynn's Shoe Store in Jerseyville. The second you walked in, the smell of top-grade leather enveloped you. The wooden counter was worn smooth from many, many boxes of shoes that had slid across it. And after you would buy a pair of shoes, Mr. Lynn would put them back in the box, slide them down the polished counter to the museum-worthy cash register where he'd ring you up. After you paid... He would slide the box to the end of the counter where he would package your shoes up with string. Buying your shoes there was not just a transaction, it was an experience. Mr. Lynn and his son David knew the shoe sizes of our whole family. He kept them written on index cards stored in a box under the counter. But when we came in in August to buy new shoes for school, he never pulled out the box. He just knew. It made us feel special. But, truth be told, he probably knew the shoe size of about everybody who walked into his store. Well, Ricky, you got a size five last year, but I'll bet you're a, you're a five and a half now. Let's measure your foot. He took off my shoe and had me stand on the metal foot measurer. Oh, won't be long now before you're wearing a, a size ten like your daddy. Let's see. Yep, yep, five and a half. 
Mom didn't want to spend a lot of money on shoes we'd outgrow, so we would walk right past the red wing display and go to the discount rack. Mr. Lind would help you try on your shoes. He would sit on a short stool that had a little ramp on the front, and he'd place the shoe on the ramp and help you slip into it with a metal shoehorn. How's that feel? Raise your big toe there so I, so I can see if they're the right size. Oh, look at that. Perfect. Perfect. You walk around the store here a little bit. See how they feel. If we couldn't find anything on the discount rack, Mr. Lynn would just happen to find a name brand shoe that he was about to put on the discount rack and let you try them on. Oh, you can have them for the sale price. I'm probably going to mark them down in a day or two anyway. That's how I got to wear my first pair of real PF flyers. Oh, I remember the TV commercial for them. PF flyers, so you can run faster and jump higher. Oh, I believed what they said. I wore those PF flyers out the door of Lynn's shoes and ran as hard as I could to the car, leaping off the curb and screeching to a stop. I couldn't believe how much faster I could run and how much higher I could jump. Once I got Buster Brown dress shoes with real leather uppers. Oh, I love those shoes. I polished them every Saturday night before church on Sunday. Then when I got old enough to buy work boots, they were Carolina boots. Carolinas were a little bit lighter than Red Wings. For some reason, I didn't feel like I was ready for Red Wings. That's something my dad wore. I had to work my way up to them, you know, when I was old enough. To this day, though, I have never bought myself a pair of red wings. Every time I go to work on the farm, I slip into my old Carolinas. That is, until last summer. My boots gave up the ghost. They were so old, the leather had deteriorated and the soles were coming off. Now, I considered going into Lens to buy a new pair of boots, but Dad's red wings were sitting on the back porch. Dad had been gone for eight years, but I had never considered wearing his boots. It almost seemed disrespectful to wear them. Mom left them there all this time as kind of a memorial to Dad. Besides, they wouldn't fit. Mr. Lynn was wrong about one thing. I had never grown into a size 10. But the real issue was not if they would fit or if it was disrespectful. The truth was, I knew I couldn't fill my father's shoes. But there they were. I brushed off the cobwebs and dust and checked inside to make sure there weren't any bugs or critters. I slipped my foot in and raised my big toe. <laughs> the leather was too thick. I couldn't tell where the tip of my toe was. They felt a little loose, so I, I put on my heavy socks and padded insoles, slipped my foot in and laced them up, stepped off the porch. The red wings felt solid on my feet. I felt taller. Sure, the soles were thicker, but... I just felt taller wearing my dad's boots. I walked the same path my dad and I had taken fifty-some-odd years ago, from the house to the grain bins. Even though I was walking like I normally do, I was aware of the length of my stride. I imagined a four-year-old version of myself trying to keep up. I realized that I was finally man enough to wear my dad's red-wing boots. Since then... Whenever I go back to the farm to work, I wear them. Even though they're technically my dad's boots, they're mine now, too. I can never actually fill my dad's shoes, but I can walk miles and miles in those boots, one step at a time. 
That was a really sweet story, Rick. Thank you, honey. It's funny how those boots really did connect me with Dad being back on the farm and everything. But here's the thing about those boots. They're really heavy. Like, walking around in them is like walking with uh, leg weights on. And then if you're in mud or something and they just get heavy, it was a workout just walking around. <laughs> so imagine trying them on when you were four or five. Oh, gosh, yeah. Is that when you tried them on? Oh, yeah. And I actually, what I did is I put my feet in them and tried to walk and just fell over because I couldn't move them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, um, I talked about in the story the foot measuring tool. Oh, I loved that thing. Yeah, it's stainless steel. Yeah. It's shiny and beautiful. I did a little research, and it's called the Brannock device. Wow, that sounds like a torture device or something. No, it measures your foot, honey. I know, and it actually is a really right, cool device. Right, but it yeah. does sound kind of medieval. Yeah. But the uh, it was invented by Charles Brannock in 1925, and at first they were wooden. There you go. Yeah. Well, and by the way, there are some of the earlier designs in the Smithsonian Institution now, and they still use that basic measurement today for shoes. So, That's so cool. There you go. A little bit of history there. There you go. Oh, here's the other thing. You know, I talked about the, uh, what do I call it, the shoe-fitting stool. Remember I talked? Oh, I love that thing. I know. I used to pretend that I was Cinderella, that I was putting my foot up, because in the cartoon, that <laughs> yeah. was how she did it. She put her foot up to try it on. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. I didn't pretend I was Cinderella <laughs> when I did it. But uh, would you like to know the official name for the shoe-fitting stool? Uh, I would. I looked it up, and it's called a shoe-fitting stool. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> wow, it's right to the point. Right, right. Doesn't sound like a medieval torture device. It's a shoe-fitting stool. There you go. We've learned a lot today. Oh, my gosh, yes. Anyway, well, I loved going into Lynn's shoes. Part of it was the smell, that mm -hmm. that smell of the good leather, and I don't know, it just... And I love the thing that the string comes out of the desk to tie up your box of shoes. Oh, yeah. we Well, Laura and I have gone back to Lynn's shoes. They're still there. The oh, way. that's so cool. David sold the store to somebody, but uh, it's still in existence. But Laura and I would go back there, and her favorite thing was what? <laughs> was to buy a pair of shoes. Just so that he would tie it up with the little string thing. And, and the string comes out of a little hole with a grommet in it in the counter. And it's all shiny and smooth. It's, it is really cool. Yeah. So if you get a chance, next time you're in Jerseyville, Illinois, you'd go to Lynn's Shoes. Right. Well, they, yeah, they're going to have to pay us for promotions. There you go. There's our ad. Didn't you have a shoe store, too, in your hometown? We did. And we would go for new shoes before school, just like you guys did. Of course. It was called Knippin' Shoes. That was the name of the family. Knippin'. 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 But see, the problem for me, because I'm the third of three girls, is that I oftentimes oh, I did not get new shoes wham, because... Wham. Because I had to wear hand-me-down shoes if my sisters outgrew their shoes before they wore them out. This is the story of my life. Although, when we were dating, didn't I buy you a really cool pair of cowboy boots? You did, and I actually still have them and still wear them. And I got them at Knippin' Shoes. <laughs> Knippin' Shoes has been long out of business. Right. But right. the other thing they had that was really cool was they had a funhouse mirror. <laughs> And so, welcome to Knippen's Funhouse Mirror Store. So you got to after you did your fitting, or if you were waiting for your sisters who were getting shoes and you weren't, at least you got to play it with the Funhouse Mirror. Wow! So actually, that's a brilliant idea. 
because when your mom says, okay, we're going to go buy shoes for school, if you weren't excited about it, which I always would be anyway, but then you go, the kids would go, can we go to Knippen so that we can look in the funhouse mirror? Exactly. Right. Tell them a story about your little brother getting tennis shoes. He was just like me with the PF Flyers. Oh, yes. He was really young, and uh, he got a new pair of tennis shoes, and the guy at the store had told him, oh, these shoes are gonna, are really fast. You're going to be able to Mr. run. Mr. Knippen told him that. <laughs> it might have been Mr. Knippen. You'll be able to run really fast. So we get home, and then he's running all over the yard, and then he tripped and fell, and he comes in the house, and, and he's like, Mom, these shoes are too fast. We have to return them. <laughs> Which, of course, the big sisters, we had to tease them mercilessly about. But that's kind of your job. Right. That's the role of the, the big sisters. Well, I think we've rambled on enough about tagging cattle and buying shoes, honey. Yes, this has been a very educational episode of So Says Rick. Right. And it's like a funhouse mirror looking into our souls. Okay, that was a stretch. Wow. Okay, I think it's time to say goodbye. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.